listening to the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you, and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. I want to preach to you this morning, Mark chapter 8 and Mark chapter 9. I have a couple things that I want to talk about. I was going to finish up the Lord's Prayer, but we're going to do that on the podcast. Right, Joe? The podcast is coming back. The podcast is coming back. And uh, Joe is going to be the host, and it's going to be a fun time, I can guarantee it. Um, I'm going to finish up part three of this, of the Lord's Prayer, on the podcast. So watch for that dropping soon. We don't have a date yet, but it's coming out soon. So, But I do want to preach to you out of Mark 8 and Mark 9. And I want to read a couple verses out of Mark 8. And then I want to jump over to Mark 9. Mark 8, verse 1 through 3. In those days where there was again a large crowd, they had nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people. Say compassion. I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now for three days and they have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come a great distance. Skip down to verse 10. This is Jesus' feeding of the 4,000. He feeds 4,000 in Mark chapter 8. So, from verses 3 to verses 10... That's what's happening. That interaction is happening. Verse 10. Immediately he entered the boat and his disciples came to the district of Dalmatha. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him. Seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit. I like like that it was like he sighed deeply. It's like they come out to test him and he's just like, <sighs> again, again. He said to them, why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. He feeds the 4,000 and then Pharisees come ask, give us a sign. He just fed 4,000 people. With a few fish and loaves, and the Pharisees show up, and they're like, we need a sign. Awesome. Skip over to Mark chapter 9, starting verse 14. When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately, when they entered, or when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of, the, one of the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground. He foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. And he answered them and said, O oh, unbelieving generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. 
Look at your neighbor this morning and say, indicators, say it like you mean it, indicators of a move of God. As many of you know, I participate frequently in the art of jujitsu. I have the jits, that is absolutely correct. You got it. I have not talked about that in a while, so this morning, I'm going to talk about it. Ben and Amy are my Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu instructors, and when oftentimes when people start out training Jiu-Jitsu, they come in and they want to learn the moves. They want to learn everything on day one. They want to know how to do a flying arm bar, flying triangle choke. They want to learn these complicated moves and ways of jujitsu that take a long time to learn. They want to learn all of that. And jujitsu is not that. Timmy, am I right? Jujitsu is not that. It is small, meticulous details practiced over a long period of time before you are able to hit one of those moves. There's so many things that you have to know other than just, I'm going to do a flying armbar or a triangle. You can't just know that. So when Ben and Amy, when they instruct us in jiu-jitsu, they often, they teach us very, very, very basic things, but it's very, 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 very detailed. If I told you some of the basic things to do and I told you to do them, you would be hard-pressed to do them because you don't know the details. You don't, you don't know why a grip matters, right? But I could tell you, grab this dude's arm and flip him over this way. And if you tried to do that, it wouldn't work because you don't know the details. So... When I started training jiu-jitsu, I was, I was learning all the moves of jiu-jitsu. And I was like, this is so fun. This is awesome. I know how to choke people. <laughs> I can defend my family in public now. <laughs> what jiu-jitsu will do is it will expose the fact that if you got into it with someone who knew jiu-jitsu on the street and you don't, you got a problem. <laughs> You got a problem. Or someone who wrestled. You have a problem. You have a major problem. Unless you got a gun. Right? Then you may not have a problem. <laughs> but Ben, there are these classes that Ben, like we, we go in and everybody's fired up to learn. And he says, today I'm going to talk to you about Indicators. Things that you can look for before the move. Things that you can look for before you perform this move on someone that will let you know what they are about to do so that you can prepare in accordance so that you can catch them with this move. This is what I learned though. Indicators show you more about what you don't know than what you do know. The early church fathers 
used to say this. They used to say, we can tell you more about God based on who he's not rather than who he is. This is why. Because they, had, they were rooted in the fact that God is good. And he is love. And when something would happen, and they would say, look, God is responsible. They would be able to say, he can't be responsible. Because he can't do that. You tracking with me? He can't do this. In, in, in jiu-jitsu, a lot of times, when you learn an indicator, if you, if, you don't, if you don't know the move, the indicator doesn't matter. Right? It doesn't matter. Because what you have, been, what you have just been exposed to, you will not get. You will not get it. And so, when I got to thinking about this, what we say the indicators of a move of God are, lots of times show us what we don't know about God. The way that we describe moves of God sometimes, or if we say, give me the characteristics of a move of God. If I told you, if you gave me the characteristics, it would reveal most of the time what you do not know or what you are unaware of. Are you with me this morning? Yes. So when you are in what we are in, when you are, when you are in a church, when we just come off of an encounter weekend where God moved powerfully and God moves powerfully in worship, right? You need to see those, you need to have these indicators that will let you know what's next, right? What's next? So, I want to talk to you about what moves of God are not and what they don't do before I talk to you about what they do, okay? This week, how many of you ever heard of Brownsville? Ever heard of Brownsville? Everybody in the room. <laughs> yeah. Brittany, raise your hand double, okay? Brittany was at Brownsville for a while. I got to thinking about this subject, and I really got to thinking about, I was like, why did Brownsville stop? Right? Why did a move of God that swept through North America, why did that end? Why do... Why, why do great moves of God like that, why do they stop? Who, who says, at this point, God just stopped moving? So I called a friend of mine that knew the leaders of the Brownsville Revival. One of them has passed away now. One of them still pastors a church. Steve Hill, John Kilpatrick. Steve Hill passed away. And he said, well, I can tell you what Steve Hill says about this. And I was like, I would sure like to know. And he began to list a long, just a bunch of things. And he actually said this. He said, Brownsville was over for two years before it ever ended. But they just asked them... 
the Brownsville revival was over two years before it ever ended. But they asked them to keep going to just get to the five-year mark. Right? So we can say, we've been in the move of God for five years. <laughs> right? But he began to talk to me about what revival's not. What a move of God isn't. Here are some things that a move of God isn't. A move of God is when you experience God strongly, but you only think he moves in that way. It is not that. That is not a move of God. Right? A move of God will never cause you to dishonor other moves of God. It will only begin to show you how to appreciate what God is doing there. That's why... That's why I've been convicted actually recently of, of that. Of one of the phrases that we even talked about in Huddle was honor everyone always. And I've started having this as a, as a, as a pastor. Honor every move of God always. Right? That doesn't, mean you don't ever get, that doesn't mean you don't ever notice its flaws. Right? Because if you did, like true honor can only come when you notice its flaws. Yeah. Right? Everything in this church is not perfect. I'll be the first, I'm the pastor, I'll tell you. Right? Everything in this church is not perfect. But when you begin to look at other people and the way that they encounter God or the way that they experience God, and you say, they cannot have experienced God the way I experience God because they're not expressing it the way that I express it. That is not a move of God. That is your ego. That is your pride. And you need to kill that. Because I sit with people all the time. I sit with people all the time that aren't expressive in worship at all. But they can tell me more about the love of God than I have ever known. And I love Jesus. And I love to be expressive. And you should love to be expressive too. I actually think you should be. But I don't look at you and say, because they're not expressive, God is not working. And because it's not what I think it should be, then it's not God. That is what a move of God is not. A move of God will never cause you to judge other things that God is doing around you versus celebrate it. It will never. That's why, that's why that I can go to, you can take me to any church in the world, and I can give you a strong critique. But I also can say, but they got this right. They got this part right. They were sincere in heart. They were together, right? They honored the fellowship. Because if I don't have that honor in my heart for a different move of God, then mine is not as legitimate as I say that it is. Because mine wouldn't cause me to dishonor yours. Because God honors all of it. All of it. That's why God can move in denominational boxes. He can. He can. There's a, I forgot who said this, but There was a quote one time I heard it. It says, God will come and get in any box you are in. 
You cannot put him in a box unless you are in a box and then he'll come climb in it with you. Right? He'll speak your language. Right? That's why, that's why you can... That's why, that's why you can grow up in a church where you don't have everything right. And people really do still love Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean if that does not mean if there was a shift in their thinking about God, that that wouldn't cause them to have a greater revelation of who God is towards them and make them love Him more, and in turn make them love their neighbor more, right? But it will not cause you or us to look at other churches and say, God cannot possibly be doing that, unless it's some crazy cult, <laughs> right? This is some crazy cult. That's why it's important. That's why it's important not to be. That's why it's. You should never blindly follow anyone. You should never blindly follow anyone, right? Ever. Don't blindly follow me. Don't worship me, right? Don't think I'm never gonna make a mistake because I will. I've been doing this for eight months now. I've got a whole list of them. Okay. the The next thing is. Man is unwilling to submit to the direction that God would like to go. That God would like to go. A lot of times, we take our preferences and we say, this is what God wants to do. You following? You track? This is what God wants to do. How do you know that? Because he did it before. Well, that's not being led by the Spirit. That's enjoying a past experience and trying to recreate it. Nothing wrong with honoring what God did. But I want to move forward in being moved by His Spirit. And when He says to do something, that's why we're doing Lent. We feel like that's what God told us to do. Right? Not because, not because like, I have a preference to do. I've never done Lent in my life. Last year, I had to repent for this. Last year, I made fun of a dude for doing Lent. <laughs> Alone with another co-worker of mine. I told you I wasn't perfect. It's Tom. Tom Burnett. We used to work, me and Brandon used to work with a father and a son. Son's Catholic. And they were practicing Lent. And he comes in with like green beans. His dad looks at him and he goes, nice lunch. <laughs> and he was like, he's like, I'm Episcopalian. I don't have to do that. <laughs> Neither one of them go to church that I know of. They might go, but probably one of the, and I was like, I'm Pentecostal, so I don't do any of that stuff. I only fast when we say, hey, we're fasting for God to move, you know. Not to become more like Jesus, but we're going to do without food. We're going to starve ourselves for the next 40 days so that God might show up and move, right? <laughs> I could give you... You want to talk to somebody who has a bitterness towards, towards fasting? Talk to our beloved Pastor Casey. <laughs> he has done more Daniel fasts than anybody in his life. And none of the stuff that he's ever fasted for happened. <laughs> Not a single thing. He, he's... Uh, 
Fasting, in this Lent season that we're approaching, we're not doing this to get God to move. We're doing this to become more like Jesus. Okay? Man is unwilling. Like, doesn't that make fasting so much more? Like, that, that draws me to fasting. When it's like, I'm going to fast so that God moves in some certain way, I'm like, that seems, that seems odd. Like, God can only move if I just fast for a while. Anyways. But what are some indicators? What are some indicators? From the text that we read today, what are some indicators? Connection. When, when you see a move of God happen, or you experience a move of God in your own life, when you, when you begin to test that move of God, I talked about this a little bit last night, that drives you to connect to other people. Not seclude from other people. I talked about it last night. I'll break it down in a quick synopsis because God knows we'll be here till next Sunday at 12 o'clock if I do what I did again last night. Acts chapter 2, read Acts chapter 2. Peter says, we killed Jesus. Or he actually says, you killed Jesus. But Peter killed Jesus too, right? And Acts chapter 2, in the upper room, the spirit moving in the upper room, they have an encounter with God. They're not drawn into the upper room. They're drawn into the outer court because they were pierced with the message that we killed Jesus. What does we killed Jesus mean? I went to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I read that off. Jesus, like, I have the spirit of God in me. They were baptized with the spirit. We killed Jesus. If one died, if one died, then all died, Right? If one died, then all died. It's talking about Jesus. And because of that, you now are the ambassador of Christ. You are the righteousness of God. So how does the world see righteousness? It's that you take your upper room experience into the outer court. Right? It's that you tell people why. They, you tell people about how righteous they are. You tell people, we killed Jesus too. Upper room's awesome. It's not meant to stay there. The upper room happened one time in the entire New Testament. Once. Once. And they never planted another church like that again. That doesn't mean they didn't pray. It doesn't mean they didn't pray. But it means they caught the revelation of we're doing this together. With everybody. Not secluded away from them. We are, are among them. They planted churches in the city center on purpose. Because they wanted to include as many people as possible. Right? Talked about that. So when you have a move of God, it connects you. It should connect you to the people around you. It should not draw you away. How long are we going to, how long are we going to practice the ways of Moses? Where my job is to go get a word of God for you. Bring it off the mountain for you. This is the New Testament. This is the new covenant. We are here to be in community with each other. Hear the preaching of the text. Let that provoke us back into community with one another. I am not Moses. I do not want the spirit of Moses. I do not want the anointing of Moses. I don't want to be like Moses. I want to be like Jesus. Jesus is the better Moses. Right? Jesus' experience on the mountains 
right? This doesn't mean you never go to the mountain. You should go to the mountain. You should have a personal walk with God. This just means when, it, when you come off the mountain, it should draw you to connect with other people. That's why in Mark chapter 8, when Jesus, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus is up on the mountain praying and he comes off the mountain and the first thing that he says is, I have compassion for these people. I'm gripped with compassion for these people. He, he, he came off of the mountain, he reconnected with his community. You have to be connected with the people that God has brought into your life. You have to ask yourself the question, do my encounters with God make me want to love God and love people more? Do they make me want to love others? It should be both. It should be both. Do you have a... When you encounter God, does it, does it, does it grow your love for your community in your heart because you have something to share now. You have something to show them now. You have that. Okay? Jesus lived among people. Jesus was not. Jesus did slip away to pray, but he was not a secluded person. Jesus was an all-inclusive person. If you look at the people, the gospel is scandalous because of who it includes. That is, that is, it is scandalous because of who it includes. It is messy because of who it includes. And that's the beauty of the gospel. It's that everyone is included. Not this leadership model where Jesus goes up on the mountain walks out with his suitcase, sits it down, doesn't speak to a human, preaches the word of God, does an altar call, grabs it, walks out, waves hey. You don't find that anywhere in Jesus. Anywhere. One of the most impactful leadership moments that I've ever had in my life. How many of you know who John Maxwell is? Leadership. Man, um, I was at a conference with John Maxwell and big church, a green room that's bigger than this church. Okay. And I'm like walking up. Okay. So if you don't know who John Maxwell is, I, I would be willing to bet that he's wrote more books than some of you've read. Okay. He's worth like $100 million. It cost a lot of money to get him to come teach you about leadership. Right? A lot. <laughs> and I was walking into this event, and I'm expecting it to be, well, John Maxwell is going to come out you know, a couple songs into worship. He's going to go up on stage, teach, and he's going to slip out. I'm walking into this event. John Maxwell's walking into this event. Through the same door. And he stops and he speaks to every person he comes in contact with. And he comes and he brings a powerful message. Powerful message. But in some cultures, we've idolized Moses on the mountain. 
We enable Moses. We enable him. I am not Moses. I was talking about this last night, Casey. Casey King called me the other day. He's like, Pastor, I know you're busy. I said, not anymore. Because you called. And you are my brother. I can love God in a minute. Right? He'll be here when we get off the phone. I had somebody tell me one time, they asked me, they're like, what do you do if you, when you're, when you're praying and you fall asleep? <laughs> don't, tell me that, don't tell me that you've never asked that question before and felt guilty about it. You felt guilty about it. God's there when you wake up. He's there. But I saw this leadership moment, and I realized in that moment, in that moment, It is not about the word that he is bringing to us, even though that is important. It is about both the word and him being connected to the people around him. It impacted me so deep. I hate green rooms. I hate them. I despise them. Despise them. Hate them. And I've been in them. Hate them. Wish that they would take them out of the church. If we ever have a green room here, it will not have couches in it. It will be a hallway to the foyer that has a couch where you can sit with everybody in community. Because you're not awesome because you're in the green room. And you come out with a word from God. If you want to pray, ask everybody to come pray. It's not the upper room. It's the inclusion of everybody with the outer court. I have been in green rooms with people. And I could tell you stories that would make you want to assault people. I could. I still honor the move of God. But I reject that altogether. I reject that. I don't need a green room to prepare for the move of God. I have a lobby to do that in. That would be my main message to leaders. You need to spend more time in lobbies than you do in green rooms. And you need to spend as much time eating dinner with people as you do praying. Maybe if you went and ate dinner with them, they, they, you together could bump into a revelation about God that you could share to transform your church. Maybe. Who knows? Do you have compassion for people? That's the second part of this. Indicators of a move of God. Is there compassion in your heart for hurting people? Is there compassion? Do you see people who are hurting and have a need and want to go and meet the need? Even if you don't have the resources to meet it. How do you feel when you know somebody else is hurting? How do you feel? 
You know, hurting people don't just announce it to the world a lot of the times. It's not always obvious that people are hurting. It's not. It's not always obvious that people are walking through something. At all. I know people who have walked through things they would never talk about to other people. They would never talk about that to other people. They turn to things. Here's how you know. They will turn to things other than Jesus to get a fix when they are hurting. And community. They will turn away from those things and into other things. Or they'll start, trink- they'll start sprinkling things in to this to try to fix and fill the voids that they have. I believe, I genuinely believe this. This is why it is, our, it is our vision and our mission statement. Every person, your problems could be solved with an encounter with God and community. And community. I can prove to you all throughout the Bible. Peter encountered God in Acts chapter 2 and was rebuked for being racist in Acts chapter 10. He had one of the most powerful experiences of God that ever hit the face of the planet. And it still didn't fix all of his problems. Paul fixed his problem, though. Paul rebukes him and fixes his problem. That's why you need community. There's issues that you have that make you look less like Jesus. And you need a community to love those out of you. You know, people who have been doing this for a minute, they see hurting people and they see behind the mask. You can wear it all day. You can wear it all day long. You can wear it anytime you want to wear it. But there are people who have been doing this for a minute, they see right behind that mask. At Hope Unlimited, just take it off, man. Just tell somebody you're hurting. We want to suffer with you. We want to enter into your suffering too. Take it off. Because of what we experience on our mountains, we can come into your world and we can suffer with you. This is about encounter and community. It is not one of the other. It is about both. It is about both. Because my encounters empower me to walk into any situation and light it up. Facebook message. (laughs) Jesus, text him back. Let me ask you this. Do your encounters with God make you want to speak to the broken places in other people? There is, a, there is an aspect to this. I don't want to lead you astray in this. Because there is, there, like, your devotion to God personally still matters. It still matters, right? It's still important. It's still important. 
There are people, there are people who, it is not one or the other though. It's both together. Right? They are both important. Right? If you, if you never encounter God, and if you never go to a place in God, how will other people know that that is possible? How will other people know that that's possible? Right? Y'all just going to think about it together? I had a pastor tell me one time, he's like, Cole, you know there's a difference between praying and thinking about it. <laughs> I was like, great. Puts a lot of stress on my prayer life now. <laughs> they were like, you can't just think about praying, you got to pray. I'm like, what does that mean, sir? <laughs> if I'm having a conversation with God in my head, is that just not valid? <laughs> got to have it out loud, maybe. Do you see broken people and want to speak to broken places? Do you want to speak to the broken places in people's life. Do you know what I think is so important about the message that I preached last night, and it will be on the podcast? Community, like you can have friendship anywhere. Community is centered around, it is centered around that everybody is welcomed because we've been, we have been, what Acts chapter 2 would say, we have been pierced with the message that we killed Jesus and that we are righteous. Right? We've been, that our hearts were pierced with the message, we killed Jesus, we are righteous. That is why it's important to invite other people to the table. Right? They need to know you're righteous. The death of Jesus and him conquering death and putting his spirit in you made you righteous. Even if you believe it, or even if you don't, you are righteous. Not based off behavior, you are righteous. And they will never come to that revelation. They will never come to that revelation unless they hear it, or unless they see it lived out in you. Right? That's why it's important for encounter and community. Encounter Thank and you for community. listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church slash give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.